with the 20th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, presented by AAA. Every athlete has a journey. Focus on the game. Let us worry about getting you there. Auto repair, roadside assistance, and auto insurance. Start your journey at AAA.com. Boadside assistance. Bowside assistance. What would be bowside assistance? Bowed, bowed side assistance. Bowed side. I think it's just be bowside assistance because you would have bow at your side. That's, we can debate it. That's that's expensive. You know, just figure. We have to have a little joke because it is the April Fool's edition of the Journey to Draft podcast presented by AAA. I'm Chris McPherson. Of course, you know Bo Wolf. There, I quit. Yep. There you go. April Fool's. And you have Fran Duffy. Fran. I love Fran Duffy because last week I was working late for an event and. Fran was here watching tape, you know, getting ready for the upcoming draft, which is four weeks from Thursday. And Fran was like, my wife's out with friends. (laughs) It's a night to watch tape. And I'm like, like, you need an excuse. Like, you could just make something up and say, oh, I need a reason to watch tape. It just gave you just another reason to be here. It it makes it easier, obviously. She sees right through that. She she knows what you're doing. Oh, absolutely. I say, look, I've got some extra stuff to do, and I do. It's not like I'm lying. No. There's a lot always work to be done. Does she watch tape with you? No. Okay. Just one time. That's probably yeah. That was really (laughs) Hurricane Sandy. I made her watch it. That's right. I remember that when we were stuck in the. I have to watch tape. I have to do it. Come on. So she uh, (laughs) she helped me a little bit. Uh, So welcome to the podcast, everyone. Rotor World's Josh Norris is going to be our special guest today. Uh, He has an outstanding podcast of his own. Process the process, and he takes an in-depth look at the scouting evaluation process. Uh, so we're going to ask him about that as well as some of his top picks in this year's draft class. Also, as well, he did a mock, a seven-round mock Eagles draft, and that was very insightful. Some interesting selections. So we'll ask him his, you know, how he got to those spots uh, with those players. Uh, pretty good, pretty good as far as seven-round mocks go. Yes, yeah, we're strong. Uh, we also have our pick six segment, which is our six safest draft prospects, and it's a scary term to use. Yeah, well, I think we'll, I don't un- say we'll, safe. we'll unpack that when we get there, what, what exactly that means. Yes. So, uh, Bo, will have an on-the-clock for us. We're going to go back to our roots. We're going we're gonna to go do a little Would You Rather today. Oh, okay. nice. Looking forward to it. I know that's Fran, one of Fran's favorites. One of my favorites. They just keep Fran happy. That's all we try to do here on the podcast. So, uh, But first, for us, we're going to delve into the latest headlines in our Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, later on in the podcast, we'll also be joined by Miami's Denzel Perryman and Marcus Golden as well, our unofficial visits for this edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. But first, we're going to delve into the latest headlines in our draft buzz, and we'll start with a roster move made by the Eagles on Tuesday, signing veteran two-time Pro Bowl wide receiver Miles Austin to a one-year contract. As I said, as I said to you this morning, you have you have your Maragos to Spadero. I've got my doppelganger. You've got your doppelganger. Yes. <laughs> My uh, better-looking, more athletic half, I guess you could say. But 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 as far as doppelgangers go, he's better than Reggie Hodges, right? Ooh, yes, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. Former punter. Yep. But how <laughs> how does it make you feel as a guy? You look very similar to a guy who reportedly dated Kim Kardashian. So like, does that think you know, give you a uh, the idea that you might have a chance? Excellent. Uh, no. Did he? I'd never caught. <laughs> <laughs> Over a thousand yards and ten touchdowns and went to the Pro Bowl. So. Was he like eyeing yeah. you up and down, looking like, wait a second, you got some good pair of hamstrings on you? Could I borrow them? <laughs> they have not been used. You see me in bubble ball out there on the field. He so. might, he might, he might, he might get in touch with <laughs> he you. He solved that. He said he solved the problem last year in Cleveland, though. 
He basically said that he had a new stretching routine, took care of the hamstring issue. It wasn't a problem for him. It was until he tried to leap over someone on the sideline, landed hard on his side, lacerated kidney. He said, I don't know how you lacerated kidney. I thought you had to stab yourself in order to do that, just the way that sounds. Uh, but up until that point, he was feeling good, had a good season for the Browns. So maybe he's coming for your kidney. Or he could be coming for my kidney. Yeah. Uh, Tough. Gave me two to work with here. So. Yeah. Um, but – Veteran move that adds more depth to the receiver position. Uh, a good locker room guy, a guy who I think it's good that he had, and he talked about this. He made the transition last year, going from a team in Dallas, which he spent his first eight years of his career in, to Cleveland, so he could get used to the new surroundings, getting used to a new offense, uh, new facility, new teammates, and he'll be able to take that in transition here to Philly. But he knows some of the people already here, including Demarco Murray, of course. someone who he's very close friends with, and. DeMarco said so many good things about the Eagles and the organization during his free agency process that it helped sell Miles on the thought to come into Philadelphia. Well, and li- I mean, listen, for the Eagles, there were not enough receivers on the roster. I mean, no. there were like right. four or five guys on the roster, so they needed to fill out the roster. Uh, Miles Austin is a, is a, you know, there's not a lot of downside to it. If he gets hurt, then, then he won't be here. So, yeah. you know, and if, you know, he, he doesn't play special teams, really, which is one thing that, that That's one uh, question, is going to yes. be a focus because if he's not going to be a starter, he's going to have to contribute there somehow. Um, but, you know, it, 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 it makes sense, and, and he's a guy who's been productive in the league and, uh, you know, hopefully sets a, some kind of good example. Yeah, and, and we talked about uh, a year ago at this time. It was almost to the day Mark Sanchez signed for a one-year deal. Uh, obviously, that worked out for the Eagles, where he was at, you know, he was pulled into action, and he, you know, he was able to keep them uh, in contention for a playoff spot uh, late in the season. But you know, you look at it, it's like Bo said, there's very little downside to this kind of deal. It's a one-year deal. If it doesn't work out in camp, then you know, there's very little consequence afterwards. So, uh, you know, I, I like the signing. I, I don't understand the the negative responses to it that we've seen, you know, around the uh, the media. But um, you know, I, I'm excited. I think, especially last year at this time, or last year during training camp. All word was that he looked good for Cleveland, and, yeah. you know, with the absence of Josh Gordon, uh, that he was going to be able to step up, and unfortunately, he got hurt. Well, it depends on you know the the backlash to it. I think it depends on what what the contract details are. So we'll figure that it's out. It's a perception. It's everyone's thinking, okay, this is your free agent acquisition at wide receiver, a position you had to. I mean, if make you were if you were guaranteeing him two and a half million dollars, then yeah, that's a weird that's a weird. Oh, great, but sure. that's that's not the case. No. All right. So our next item here, Jimmy Kemsky from Philly Voice has a list of the reported pre-draft visits that the Eagles have had. He has 10 total, but I'll list the most three recent ones here. And these are some under-the-radar type guys, guys who are not getting a lot of buzz. First, Terry Poole from San Diego State offensive lineman. And uh, I know Bo is smirking because I don't know why he's actually smirking. We, we watched him, uh, Fran and I did, before the Shrine game. Was it the Shrine game, Shrine right? game, yep. We were not impressed. Uh, but he tested very well at the Combine. For a big guy. For a big yes. guy. Right. Very explosive for a big guy. And that's that. I think that's what the, these visits should be used for, guys who uh, made you sort of second-guess the tape because they performed well at the combine or something like that. And so you go back and, and want to do your due diligence, figure out where the disparity lies there. Uh, so it makes sense that, that they would bring a guy like him in because he has the, those those traits. Yeah, it, and I, I thought he had a pretty good week down at, at St. Petersburg, too. He did. So, uh, a guy that look, I mean, we got we had a brief exposure to him leading up. Yeah, we, we watched two games. Yeah, so, maybe. You know. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, we had a brief exposure. Uh, I thought he had a good week in St. Petersburg. He tested well, and that's the thing is, you don't want to necessarily just look at the raw numbers, but then also w- for a guy his size, and you kind of use the context that way. Uh, it's pretty. It was it was a good workout. So, uh, you know, you look at a, a guy like Poole, and it would make sense. Last week we did our pick six segment on players who were 
not first-round prospects who we thought could come in and potentially be day-one starts for the Eagles. And I contemplate Poole because of the athletic profile, and I know that you know probably a little off-kilter there, so to speak, because I know his name hasn't really been out there as much. But interesting there, the Eagles brought him in reportedly for the pre-draft visit. The second player, uh, Rashad Green, wide receiver from Florida State. A guy who's smooth, elusive. I mean, he's he's been one of the more productive receivers in college football the last four years. He was a four-year starter at Florida State uh, and has been very, very productive for the Seminoles. Uh, I think he profiles more so. And look, I mean, you can say you know this about a lot of guys. I think a, a year ago a lot of people said this about Josh Huff, who is going to carve a roll out on the outside. Uh, I think he might be more of a slot guy, but – uh, you know, a little bit on the skinnier side. I, you know, he reminds some people. I think uh, Greg Cosell may have said he reminded him a bit of of Doug Baldwin. Um, you know, in the kind of receiver he can be. But overall, very good yards after catch guy. One of those guys when he gets the ball in his hands, he's immediately headed to the end zone. Pretty good route runners. Got good hands. I mean, he, he's one of those guys that's got a complete package, but he's just a bit on the small side. And the third player. Now, if Fran has a detailed scouting report on this player, I won't be shocked. But it'll just be more kudos for him. And that's Navy long snapper Joe Cardona. I watched him very closely at the Senior Bowl, and he snapped the crap out of the ball. He was – I've never seen anything like <laughs> I'm going to tell you, and this is a true story, and I said it to Bo. <laughs> I think I said it to you when we were down at the Senior Bowl. One of my friends who's – Is this, you know, is this an April Fool's joke? No, this, is, this is legit. One of my friends who's – you know, he's not affiliated with the Eagles or anything, but uh, who's in the scouting community will just say uh, – That's a loose term right there. I just uh, – I, I don't want to say the team or you know, anything like that, but uh, – came up to me and he said the the Cardona kid is a legit long snapper as in like he's one of the best long snappers to come out in a long time now obviously he's in Navy so you know that how that commitment uh you know affects it but I, I and, would say and, opposite. and Chip Kelly you know uh loves working with the service academy yes. stuff I, I would say that that's the biggest reason that he's coming in I, but, I, but he's you le- know from what I've been told he is a legit long snapper okay so, so there you go I believe take it. that for what it's worth all right, so pro days are in full swing, and UConn's was on Tuesday, and the Eagles sent a large contingent, including head coach Chip Kelly, to watch Byron Jones, amongst the other prospects there. Yeah, Manowitz was there, Bill Davis was there, Tom Donahoe was there. Going off that one picture, yeah. Yes. He's a player who some people have mocked the Eagles in the past at number 20, a player who had an outstanding combine workout. You know, you follow draft Twitter – all the analysts are seem to be big fans of his tape. I'm just sort of like, why is he not getting more love as a surefire guy? Why is he not getting? Why is he not put in that category of Trey Wayne's? You know, say Kevin Johnson. Depends who you think the second cornerback is. Why isn't Byron Jones? He, he might be. He might be. But by teams, I mean, that's by teams the thing, could be. That, yeah. you know, by teams, he might be. I mean. You you think back to uh, a couple of years ago, DJ Hayden. No one thought DJ Hayden was going to be the what was it the third thirteenth pick? I think Oakland made him. Yeah. And, uh, you I know, everyone it was even higher. Yeah, it, it was something along those lines where uh, you know everyone liked DJ Hayden. They said, "Oh, the tape was great." And if it weren't for the injury and this, that, but and he other. had a, a a rare injury. Right, I forget exactly it? what it was. Yeah. It was a, a heart heart condition. Or no, I think it was it was a la- it might have been a lacerated spleen. Actually, it was, something, along it. Those it was lines. something along those lines where. Uh, you know, it was an life threatening, organ. Yeah, but right. it was life threatening. Sure. Yeah. That's the thing. Um, but you know, it's one of those things where look, he, his tape was very good, uh, high character tested well. Um, and everyone said, Oh, why isn't DJ Hayden included in this group? And it ended up that he was, uh, and obviously it hasn't worked out the way that Oakland would have hoped. I don't think that he's lived up to that draft slot. Well, yet. he had injured his rookie year. Yeah, and it's still, you know, obviously he's still young, so there's still a lot of time there to prove that. But, um, you know, look, Byron Jones, 
is a very, very talented player. Uh, he's checking all the boxes in the pre-draft process. So uh, where he ultimately ends up selected, we'll, we'll see. But, uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see if he would go off the board, you know, earlier than a lot of people are saying. He will be a first-round pick. I, I yes. think he will. All right. Mock draft time. Peter King from the Monday Morning Quarterback unleashed his second mock draft. The first one had Eagles fans a flutter because he projected a trade for Marcus Mariota. Didn't do that this time around. He went with Jalen Strong, wide receiver from Arizona State, who Instagrammed a picture of himself visiting the Novacare Complex a few weeks ago. Philly kid. Coming home. Yeah, yep, Philly kid. That's right. Uh, Strong is interesting. I mean, big kid, uh, 6'2", 217 pounds. You know, when you look at him, he's almost a – he's very similar, I would say, to Jordan Matthews in, in what he can do. I think there are some things that Jordan does better, and I think there are some things that Strong does better. Uh, I think Strong had better hands coming out of college than, than Jordan did a year ago. Uh, when you look at it, they're, they're very similar receivers in their ability to go up and make contested catches. Uh, they both know how to use their size. So uh, Strong is a really, really, really intriguing guy. And in this offense, you know how much Chip Kelly values that size uh, at the receiver position and especially over the middle of the field. Strong would make a lot of sense. I agree. I think, I think, it's, I think he's uh, you know, one of 10, 15 guys who are, are real possibilities at, at 20. Could you get a similar guy to Jalen Strong later in the draft? Well, that's yeah, that's, that's the big question. And I think the that's the value. Thing. Yeah, I mean, you, you, there will be good receivers available in the second round, but will they be know, of the? How, how do they have them graded? Yeah, yeah, I mean, Jaylen and that's uh, that's what it comes down to. I mean, yeah. how, what is the difference between uh, Jalen Strong and and Desmond Lewis? If you're going to take Desmond Lewis in the third or fourth round, is there a big difference between that and uh, you know how much? Is, is there the a difference? bigger difference between that and you know Jake Fisher versus right? I don't know, Mark Lewinsky. And obviously these are all theoretical because we don't know. There's 31 other teams. We don't know how they've got uh, you know, Jalen Strong or Desmond Lewis or Jake Fisher or any of these other guys uh, valued. So, you know, that's the, that's the game you got to play. What's always interesting is at the end of the draft, you see which players each team selects, but you don't know where they have them all ranked. Right. You say, obviously, okay, they like these guys, but they pick these seven, eight, nine guys, what have you. But analysts have to go through the process of ranking and – mocking for every single team but you never know it'd be fascinating to know what do teams really think of certain guys which guys really are higher or lower than than the uh, public perception right so to speak all right next mock draft we're going to look at comes from dane brugler from cbs sports uh new name in the mix here versatile defensive back eric rowe who can play corner and safety he actually started three years at safety before transitioning to corner and was a second team all-conference selection last season and we've talked a lot about Rowe throughout this process and he's often been sort of linked to the Eagles as a potential second round pick and, and we've been saying all along that he's not going to be there in the second round we don't think um, because first of all the the lack of safeties in this draft behind Landon Collins someone's maybe probably going to think that that Rowe can come in and play safety he's also got the length to play on the outside and, and is maybe one of the I don't want to say safer corners, but he doesn't have those those off field concerns. Uh, I, he will not be there for the Eagles in the second round. I think he I think he will be taken late mid second or first round, um, if not early second round. But I, I think he's a possibility for the Eagles at twenty because he has that versatility. Obviously, you know you look at Malcolm Jenkins, you look at that uh, the kind of defense that Bill Davis wants to build, a guy who can play both spots. You know, they drafted Jalen Watkins last year. Um, that's sort of the template, and, and Rowe fits that. Yeah, and it, not the, not only does he have the length to play on the outside, he's got the athleticism. He tested a lot better than that's I right. think a lot of people thought he would. Uh, and, you know, we went down to the Senior Bowl. We were both really excited to see him play corner. 
Unfortunately, yeah, he spent most of the week at safety. And I think that was just more of a, a need at the safety position down there right. as opposed to his ability. But, um, you know, Rowe's got a ton of ability. Uh, you really like the way that he stepped up, even against the bigger out-of-conference opponents. You know, when they played uh, Michigan in the big house, he was one of the most uh, energetic players on the field, was, you know, jumping up and down after every play, uh, made a number of plays on the ball against Devin Funches. So uh, a really impressive guy that I, I've been impressed to watch throughout the process. All right, a couple other mock drafts I'm just going to note here. Bucky Brooks from NFL Network has Jalen Collins. <clears throat> Len Zierlein, a friend of the program from NFL Network, has Landon Collins. So secondary is still a popular pick, and those mock drafts just came in the last couple of days. So We're um, not taking Jalen Collins at 20. I'll tell you that right now. There you go. Collins, the, I think the Save two Save that for when we do, but. The two Collins, I think, are the two of the more uh, popular. consistent, yes. popular, yes. consistently popular picks for the Eagles, I think. All right, so that's going to do it for our draft bros. Now it's time to bring in our Mr. Relevant, Josh Norris from Rotor World. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Our Mr. Relevant this week is none other than Josh Norris from Rotor World. Josh, thank you very much for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. Also the host of the Process the Process podcast which is a very, very valuable tool for those who want to learn more about the scouting process. Uh, I think it's something that's really never been done in a podcast forum before where you take an in-depth look at the evaluation process of how it's perceived from many different angles. And Josh, first thing I actually want to ask you here is, what have you learned uh, by doing the Process of Process podcast? Well, there, there's so much. I mean, and, and, and you mentioned it. We, we get into discussions about prospects, but that's not kind of the foundation of the discussion. It's more about just attacking this draft season from multiple different angles. Uh, I've learned how some, you know, input age into evaluations and, and how that is or can be important. And it's not exactly how, at least in this case, how, how many perceive it. So I think that that's one that absolutely stands out. So Josh, so before we delve into some of the player evaluation strategies and techniques that you've learned uh, we want to go through a seven-round mock. You're brave enough. You're brave enough to do this for every single team, and you've already done it for the Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, just want to run through your picks real quick here, and you know, kind of uh, get your your thinking behind some of the selections here. Your first-round selection for the Eagles, Jake Fisher from Oregon. So obviously, a lot of people are going to be looking at the Chip Kelly Oregon connection there. Second-round interesting one, Devin Funches, the receiver from Michigan. Third, safety Adrian Amos from Penn State. You have Shaq Riddick, edge rusher from West Virginia. Gary Peters from Clemson, very interesting cornerback selection there. Uh, another Oregon Duck, Tony Washington, outside linebacker at five in the fifth round. Uh, Deion Long, the wide receiver from Maryland in the sixth round. And a uh, Fran Duffy favorite, Obum Guachum from Oregon State to round out the draft. Uh, let's start at the top there. Why do you think that Jake Fisher would be a good fit for the Eagles? Is it simply the fact that you know transitioning from the Oregon offense to what Chip Kelly and the Eagles are doing here in Philadelphia. Well, that certainly doesn't hurt, right? And, and I know that some Eagles reporters have pointed out that six of the seven picks last year visited the Eagles, and the other one that didn't was Josh Huff, who obviously played under Chip Kelly at Oregon. Here's the thing. All evaluators and even coaches have types, right? And rarely do those types change. And to me, Jake Fisher fits what the Eagles have in place along their offensive line in terms of athletic testing and, and just great athletes at the offensive line position. In fact, they have two of the best testers ever on their offensive line in Lane Johnson and, for now, Evan Mathis. Um, Jake Fisher, I'm not going to say he's in that class, but he's close to it. 
Um, and the I, and the fact that he has experienced a both tackle spot and then has also played at guard to me means that you could potentially place him at any four spots along the offensive line, which is more difficult uh, than as it, it, it's often said. But since he has experience there, it makes sense, and, and they could potentially use him at any one of those spots. Josh, in the second round, you have Devin Funches, a bigger wide receiver. Uh, some were wondering if he would transition to tight end at the next level, but he tested well enough as pro day that he should stick as a wide receiver. Why did you plug him in there to the Eagles at, um, in the second round uh, in another very deep draft at the wide receiver position? Yeah, and let's first talk about wide receiver with Devin Punch. Um, to me, as long as he never plays in line, he's a wide receiver. And I just don't see Funches playing in line ever. I'm not even a single snap. So, yeah, he can play on the outside, he can play in the slot, maybe even a Calvin Benjamin role for certain teams. I know a lot of projections and evaluators are linking speed receivers to the Eagles. Now, I do think that there's two ways to win in the NFL for receivers, and very simply. It's either in the big game or the small game. Now, the small game is creating that burst and separation with acceleration and quickness, and then picking up yards after the catch, right? So there's one area. The second area are contested catches and winning those 50-50 situations. And while Funches may not have done that as much as he should have, he certainly has the level of ability to do that. And I, I don't factor this into my evaluation, but it was recently reported that he dealt with a broken toe and, and ligament issues uh, in that foot um, since the second game of the season. So maybe that impacted his play. But I do think that if Chip does not go – with the smaller receivers, the one that wins in the small game, Funches absolutely fit the type that can win in those contested situations. And then even for a size, I think he's better after the catch and give him credit for the, uh, the The next two guys I want to ask you about, Josh, are, are in the secondary where the Eagles uh, are certainly still looking for some help. And, and you've got, uh, you know, without, without blowing too much smoke, uh, you know, at you, uh, I would say that these are, are two players who certainly fit what the Eagles would be looking for at their positions. Adrian Amos at safety has that versatility that you look for, uh, and Gary Peters has the length on the outside. Tell us about those two guys, especially Peters, who I think is, a, is an interesting possibility. Yeah, I'm more comfortable with my evaluation of Amos, but honestly I'm not comfortable at all with any defensive back evaluation. I'm just going to put that on the table. Uh, but Adrian Amos is, is a very good athlete, superb athlete, and you mentioned it. I mean, he has played corner. He has played slot corner. He has played strong safety and he has played free safety. Right now I'm not saying he has true versatility in terms of winning at every single one of those spots, but I think kind of that utility defensive back um, role would fit him very well. And Gary Peters has length, which is another thing that it seems like Chip cares about uh, on his corners. And, and I think someone mentioned during the combine that he said he only gave up like two receptions all year. It was some crazy number. Um, I'm not sure if I agree with that when watching this game, but, again, every evaluator has types. If you're looking in the fifth round, I mean, why not fit those or find prospects that fit certain of your checklist, certain boxes? And then I think Peter says that from a length standpoint. All right, Josh, so now that we've gone through your seven-round mock, let's let's get to the to the meat of what we really wanted to bring you on to talk about, and that's the, the theme of player versus prospect, and that can be talked about in a number of different ways, whether it's, you know, high ceiling versus high floor and, you know, and safe versus, you know, upside. It, it, there's all kinds of ways you can kind of look at it, but uh, let's just start the conversation off this way. In your, in your mind, w- define the term upside. 
Oh, this is so, such a tough one. Um, to me, I think we use upside more often than when it actually exists. Like, I think the term upside is linked a lot or linked a lot of times to athletic upside or athletic potential. Um, when really, in my opinion, rarely, and I mean rarely, are weaknesses turned into strengths, right? And I think a lot of times prospects that are given the upside tag have this perceived athleticism or athletic upside that people think that they can then turn their weaknesses into strengths when really maybe uh, adequate or strengths get stronger, if that makes sense. Um, So, yeah, I I, I rarely think that a prospect can can, just universally change the areas where they win, but in terms of getting better in the areas where they already do succeed, I think that's the upside that should be focused on. And that's it's almost one of the things that's funny too that I think gets lost in that conversation is the mental side of it because if you know obviously if a guy's got all the the physical tools that's fine but you know if a guy's not a, a hard worker and isn't willing to put the time in to get better then it, that upside's never going to get realized so I think that's one thing that almost gets left out of the conversation when uh, you know when people on the outside are talking about a guy oh yeah this guy's got a ton of upside and if he puts it together he's he, you know he's going to have a lot of success in the NFL so. Yeah, I mean, and it's not something that, honestly, I can factor in, but I absolutely think teams can, right? And teams have much much more experience with it than I do. Um, I think maybe a Rashid Hageman um, with the Falcons is one name to look at, right? Because he actually does have athletic upside where he can make his strengths even stronger, but that will only take place if he kind of starts to learn how to understand the game, if it kind of slows down to him, if he works on the technical aspects, which will make his strength even stronger. So I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I do think it's a major piece that the NFL factors in. But honestly, since I don't know these guys or know their background at all, it's not something that I really look at. Josh, a lot of times on our podcast here, we've delved into the discussion of age and how it relates to a player prospect. What is your take on the age in terms of the evaluation? How much does that way and how you look at the different players you're scouting? I am honestly still learning in this area. Um, and if, if you want a longer discussion on this, uh, the episode with John Moore, who's from Rotoviz, um, on my podcast is, is a great one. It's a longer listen. But uh, how he explained it to me is many times, and, and I think many times age is factored in and that people think if someone is younger, that means they're just going to improve. Right? Like, that, that's the Madden theory in it all. Like, we all acquire the younger players. We play those video games but then, or when we used to. Let's just put it that way. Um, and, and then they have more time to improve or a higher ceiling. When really, how John put it, was prospects that succeed at a younger age or are um, being coveted by NFL teams at a younger age shows that they already are this good at a younger age, right? And that's what is meaningful. They already are this far in their development um, and already are having success and winning all these different ways and post this amount of production. So that's why the age matters for younger players. When compared, like comparing an Amari Cooper who's, what, 21 years old to any wide receiver that's 24, it's impressive that Amari is already doing that at 21. Not necessarily how much more he can get to, but since he's already doing it at that age, compared to someone that is 24 that has already matured or progressed um, and, and is recording those stats. Now, on the complete flip side, I mean, there are some 
really rare cases and like a Gene Seffrin this year who, what, will be 28 when the season starts, is older than Robert Gronkowski already. Obviously, that's going to factor into a, a team selecting these players um, because you pretty much only have them for one contract, and that progression might not take place. They might already be in their quote-unquote prime. Um, so, yeah, I think those are few and far between, and those are really interesting cases that I would love to be in a draft room to hear the discussions on those. Well, and it, it, you know, age has sort of been, you know, my thing for a while, but uh, it seems self-evident, right? If, if, if Gene Sifrin is a 27-year-old going up against 21-year-olds, of course he's going to be physically dominant, uh, whereas Amari Cooper, I think, I think when you talk about the upside, it's not necessarily that he's going to get better, but that his athletic peak has not come yet. Uh, you know, we're, you're talking 25, 26 years old. That's when these guys' athletic peaks are. So if you're, if you're taking a player like Sifrin who – uh, you know, was coming from a small school. It's going to take him a year or two just to adjust to life in the NFL. Period. By then, he's already going to be declining uh, in in terms of his athleticism. Yeah, and, and I think there's another discussion here that can be made between like raw and, and experience. Um, a, a term that was thrown out when Ziggy Anza was coming out of the draft was was raw. And to me, that's wrong. Like I, I would classify Daniel Hunter this year as raw because he has experience, but he just has not progressed and the technical aspects of being a pass rusher. Whereas, to me, Ansa had already displayed that he was learning, so he's not raw. He was just inexperienced, meaning with the more experience, with the more experience he, was, he was gaining um, that edge. He, he, he was learning how to play the game, and, and it was slowing down for him. So I, I know that's not exactly the same, but I do think it, it is notable to point out the differences between raw and inexperienced as well. I, I, think, uh, I think Amari Cooper is a good... Uh a good player to talk about this with because as, as uh, you talked about on your podcast, when you talked about age Cooper, of course has all this experience uh, as just a 21 year old, but he's also considered uh, as Fran would say, one of the more safe guys in the draft because he's uh, he's such a refined route runner. So I think that the marriage of the two that he is, uh, he is a polished prospect, but also young makes him such an elite prospect. Let, let me say this. I really love Amari Cooper's game. I think he's a top-ten talent in this class for whatever rankings are worth. But I will say I don't think he's a complete receiver, and I know that that's like a headline statement. But in terms of winning in both phases of the game, he doesn't do that. He doesn't win consistently enough for me in those 50-50 situations in the big game. But he is so proficient in the small game, like you mentioned. I mean, he has burst. He has acceleration. He has little waste of movement. He consistently creates separation, sustains it, and then picks up yards at the catch. And that's so good in that area. And, and it's what you just mentioned, that, that those are traits that are easily translatable to the NFL, right? We know that guys that can create separation, that are athletes like Amari Cooper is in terms of change of direction, that translates. Whereas some other of these um, ways people win – are not as easily translatable. So, yeah, if, if we were going by safe selection, I would absolutely throw Amari Cooper's name into the hat, and I'd also throw Eric Kendricks from, from UCLA, the linebacker. Josh, are, are there certain positions where you're more likely to bet on you know the, on the upside or on the, the ability to potentially grow, or you know more so than others, uh, uh, offensive line, if a guy's raw with his te- or inexperienced with his technique or you know, he shows some rawness, are you more likely to bet on that as opposed to the wide receiver position or the cornerback position? Well, you know, Fran, I'm all about finding where a player wins, right? 
So the thing here is, in many cases, especially with non-first or second-day picks, you have to isolate where a player's strength is, right? What trait do they have that can compensate for their deficiencies? And it's honestly not just the third day. It's also the second day and really the vast majority of the NFL. Um, I think when we're talking about athletes and, and what position matters most for an athletic profile, I would point to edge players because, one, I mean, there are really two ways to win. And, again, it's like wide receivers that some can do both, but those are the rare types, the ones that consistently have success. On the edge, there's two ways to win. There's that upfield speed and then the flexibility to turn the corner um, with little weights and movement and, and closing the quarterback. And then there's also the conversion of speed to power. I, I would bet on a lot of these edge rushers that have um, an athletic profile. Um, Anthony Ciccolo is one who was misused. Shaq Reddit from West Virginia is one who was misused. Um, I really like Davis Toll from UT Chattanooga. Um, now, he doesn't have long arms, but, man, is this guy explosive. And when you look at jumps and that athletic profile, I just finished a podcast with Justice Mosqueda, um, the jumps correlate to explosion. It correlates to that speed to power. So I know we always talk about the 10-yard split, and I always, we always talk about the three code in terms of changing direction, the 20-yard short shuttle. But those jumps also show where a player can win on the field. So, yeah, to answer your question, I would take a lot of chances on the uh, on the defensive line, namely the edge players. And also, I'm with you. I, I think that offensive linemen um, is, is one to take chances on, obviously on, on movement skills in an athletic profile, but also strength. And strength is, is a and, and length combined together is a way for tackles to compensate for a lack of footwork as well. Josh, do you notice certain positions becoming, and I, I don't like using the word safe, but um, their skills translate more easily from college to the NFL as opposed to past years? You know, I, I think it's interesting that almost every offensive lineman that gets taken early is called a safe prospect when that hasn't been the case at all. And I think a big part of it is because they fit the movement skills that a lot of these coaches want on offensive linemen, and that works in college because it lets you get into position, and the college edge rushers aren't as good at converting speed to power, in my opinion. There are much more edge rushers that like to bend and run around the pocket. So lacking that strength or lacking that punch on first contact and then lacking that power to anchor has become a major issue with a lot of these prospects. Uh, ones that, you know, translate easily – I mean, I would say receivers that win in the small game but also still have size is one, if that makes any sense to you. Um, you know, I think that's a difficult question. I'm not sure if I can answer it. I think it really is a case-by-case basis. I also really like interior defensive linemen that have athleticism that also know how to win on counter moves, right? So if they can put a... Uh, offensive linemen uh, in a recovery position on their first move, and while they're still still engaged, then use their hands or their length um, or their balance to then win on a counter move. To me, I love, and I think that that can translate very well to the NFL. Without without jump, jumping around too much, Josh, I wanted to ask you about something you mentioned earlier, and that's the you know the difficulty of 
judging and and rating the the secondary, especially safety. Um, and this you know this safety class is uh, it seems like it's Landon Collins and everybody else. And the safety play in, in the league as a whole tells you that it's hard to find these guys. Why do you think it is that that scouting safeties is so difficult? Well, it's not just the camera angles, right, that we don't get to see a, a safety on the field all that much. It's also probably the schemes that they use, right, in college. There's a story that I've heard over and over again about Reggie Nelson coming out of Florida. And I think we all remember him as a ball-hawking safety that played center field and would just run and, and, and try to intercept the ball. Um, one team got him in their draft room and was just asking him, like, okay, tell us about uh, your responsibility in this position and this one, this one. And every time he's like, well, I just – uh, I just run around in the back and, and go for the football. Like, he had no responsibility. He had no scheme other than just to stand back there, watch the quarterback's eyes, and attack the football. And now he's turned into a really hard-hitting safety. But it, it, it's, it's that projection. Like, not everyone comes from Alabama secondary that is complex, um, where they rotate safeties pre-snap, they rotate their defensive backs, they ask them to play split, they ask them to play single high or in a strong safety role, Right. So it, it, it's just tough to know what use and, and really what their abilities are in the multiple schemes that we see in the NFL. Josh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask this one question from a fan on Twitter when we put it on Twitter that you were going to come on the podcast. Uh, this is from at Chris to the Hess. He wants to know, can you clarify ceiling and floor in, in regards to evaluating prospects? Oh, yeah, ceiling, and, and I've, I've kind of already answered this in, in pieces. I, I would say ceiling is not I, – I think we should eliminate the idea that weaknesses can turn into strengths. Like, I think it's great when it does happen, but it so rarely happens that we, we need to get over that. Um, ceiling is someone's either average traits or strength get, getting stronger. I know I keep repeating that, but I, I do think that that's something that – we, we should include in more evaluations. And then floor, I mean, as obvious as it sounds, it's which traits do they have right now that they consistently went on. Um, we keep bringing up Amari Cooper, but it's when he is in a movement um, position, when he's not just a stationary receiver um, going against a press corner, but like maybe either working from the spot or going in motion prior to the snap and then creating more separation catching the ball that is not contested, and then very little waste in movement and picking up yards after the catch. Um, I think every single prospect, for the most part, has an area where they went. And that is the most important piece of the evaluation because it shows how they can help a team succeed, how they can help a team win. And these prospects should be used in that way rather than being asked, you know, <laughs> to do something they can't do. Which actually does happen a lot in the NFL. And I know one, to, just to bounce off of that, I know one of the things that often happens online, you know, on Twitter, or, you know, and other pe- people's pieces is, uh, oh well, you know, so and so ceiling is Andrew Luck, or so and so ceiling is JJ Watt, and using those uh, elite comparisons that you know often set these uh, unreachable expectations. Well, and I know you guys never talk about Marcus Mariota, so I'll bring him up here. Uh, <laughs> So I think the floor for Marcus and quarterbacks are such an, an interesting comparison to make with floors and ceilings because, one, there are so few successful quarterbacks in the league to compare guys to. And then, second, uh, rarely, well, 
so many of these successful quarterbacks in the league are unique in some way, right? I mean, how many would we say are alike in the NFL? None. Um, so as a floor for Marcus Mariota, I might say a Ryan Tannehill um, with potentially more success outside of structure. Now, when you list his traits being a quarterback that can win inside of structure, handle pressure with good eye level, and then escape the pocket and find receivers at every level of the field. Now, that's his ultimate ceiling, right? I mean, the one that stands out is Aaron Rodgers, but I'm never going to say Aaron Rodgers is a ceiling, right? So, it's I, again, I think it's a case-by-case basis, but specifically at the quarterback position. It's so difficult to, to talk about floors and ceilings, and especially comparisons, because these prospects and the successful ones are so unique. I think it's fair to say that these these macro philosophical conversations are are where Josh wins. <laughs> no, I just have the good guests on, and I just stay quiet. That's all I. Josh Norris from Rotor World. You can follow him on Twitter at Josh Norris. Hopefully, I'll have a mock draft later today, and I think he's still going to keep Jake Fisher for the Eagles there at the number twenty pick. So a little nerf gun to my head. There. Exactly. So, Josh, thank you very much for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Triple A. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, it's time now for our Pick 6 segment. And this week, we're going to look at six players who we deem to be the quote-unquote safest prospects in this year's draft class. And I guess a I bit of a disclaimer the, the about safest prospects. Because, you know, you could then we would just be taking the, the top 10 ranked players or whatever. I think, from my perspective at least, when I'm thinking of, of safe, I'm thinking of uh, when they're expected to go, the the downside to their it, it's unlikely that they will blow up in your face their their value. Okay. Um, so I don't know. So like, that was your approach to it. So I will start uh, with T.J. Yeldon, the Alabama running back, uh, physical running back. I think I, I think he's going to be what people expect he's going to be. He's going to go in the second or third round probably, and he'll be a eventual starting running back. I think that's okay. I like it. He's enough. Yep. Um, this is an interesting one. Wisconsin right tackle Rob Havenstein. I would agree with this one. I uh, like this pick. Who is 6'7", 321. He is a right tackle in a power running scheme through and through. That's what he is. Put him there. I, I 100% agree. And I, I, like, I, I think that he's one of the more impressive tackles in the class, and he's not going to be a fit for everybody. But right, exactly. I, I agree. So uh, that's obviously the key is to make sure you get drafted into the right sure. situation. Right, that's right. What but uh, but he's not going to be drafted by, by a, a, a zone blocking scheme, really. And the flip side to that is is the the other kind of offensive lineman you'd be looking for the more athletic guy, who, a player who we have talked about in the past, Georgia Tech's Shaq Mason. He's going to be a mid to late round draft pick. He's going to be put in a in a, in a scheme that's going to take advantage of his athleticism on the inside, and he'll he'll be he'll, he will be that. I like that. Uh, okay, my next player is a, a player we saw at the Senior Bowl who had a very good week. Has drawn uh, Fran Duffy comparisons to Taylor Hart. Ah, nice. And, and that's Henry Anderson from Stanford. He's got that length to play uh, maybe three or four defensive end, if not uh, in a four three. But but he will be a, a guy who can who can stop the run. He'll be a you know I don't know third round draft pick, probably maybe late day two pick. Uh, and I think he will be what what people think he is. As uh, he been compared to Fran Duffy or to Taylor Hart. Fran Duffy has compared him to, to Taylor, Taylor Hart. And I, look, I think, and actually, the person we just talked to it was the, the someone we should have asked him about. Henry Anderson uh, is a huge 
uh, favorite of Josh Norris. Right. Um, so uh, Anderson's a guy that I think in that kind of scheme, if he goes into a 3-4, I think he can plug in and play five technique right away. I think he can play a number of different roles up and down the line in different sub packages as well. Uh, very refined player. I, I like Henry Anderson a lot. Okay. Uh, a little bit on the, the higher end. Uh, I think that Max Williams from Minnesota is will be the the best, the most all-around uh, tight end in this draft class. He can make plays down the field in the passing game. He blocks well enough. He's got that sort of uh, tenacious fight on the field. Uh, he's only 21 years old. He's got the the NFL body. I think he will be uh, a starting tight end wherever he was, wherever he is taken. It's a good choice. I almost went with Williams too. I like that one. Uh, and then my last one, I got to give him a shout out to m- to my Demon Deacons, Kevin Johnson. Uh, the Wake Forest cornerback. Uh, he has the length on the outside. Uh, he has a lot of starting experience. He can play man and zone. The one question mark with him is is that upper body strength. Uh, so he's maybe not the safest of these safe guys, but I think he's probably going late first round, early second round, and I think he will ev- eventually be a, a starting caliber corner. I think I put in my notes that I think he's one of the safer corners in the draft. In terms of his technique at the line of scrimmage as a press corner, uh, even as an off corner at that length, it's really impressive that he's got – He's so patient. Uh, you know, he stays low in his pedal. He's all the little things that some of these corners you want to teach. You know, you talked about a guy like Justin Gilbert a year ago, uh, you know, was more athlete than corner because he didn't have all these little things down. Kevin Johnson has these things down. And it seems to be more and more buzz for him going in the first round yeah. versus falling to day two. And yeah. as, I, as I said last week, the words, uh, you know, safe prospect in Wake Forest do scare me because of Aaron Curry Aaron from a couple Curry. years ago. But The ghost uh, of Aaron Curry. I think, I think Kevin Johnson will be able to overcome that. All right, I'll go with my pick six next. I'll start with the uh, brother of a current Philadelphia Eagle. In one, Eric Kendricks, the Buckus Award winner. Very good instincts. Seems like a guy you can plug and play. I know he's been battling hamstring injury during the whole pro day process, but seems to be a guy who was very safe. Again, another guy who I know Josh Norris is very high on. Yeah, Ken- Kendricks is a fun guy to watch because of those instincts and uh, ability to play inside the tackle box. I think the instincts are the key there. That, that's that's what makes him so safe. Yeah. Sure. Maybe a little undersized, but but he should, Maybe a he should be fine. Uh, I'm going to stick with the defense. I'll go with a player projected to be a top-five selection in Leonard Williams, someone who you know played as a true freshman at USC, extremely productive, underclassman, uh, and scheme-diverse, can play 4-3, 3-4 front. So I think, you know, I think a lot of people are expecting – I've heard the Richard Seymour comparison. I don't know if he'll ever do that, but I think he will be a very good starter for whichever team drafts him. Yeah, and if you see, there was a, there was a segment a couple of weeks ago uh, on MMQB with Andy Benoit, and he's got to sit down and go through film with uh I with didn't get Leonard to read Williams. that, yeah. And, it, it, you know, you can kind of see the way that he approaches the game from a mental standpoint, and that kind of, uh, you know, helps that theory that he might be a safe player because – Obviously, look, he, di- he didn't test great at the combine. He had, a, I thought, a pretty average workout for uh, a guy that's going to play like a five technique or you know potential three technique at the next level. But uh, you know, from the mental standpoint and from the technique standpoint, if he shows that he can do those things well, I uh, should be able to stick. I'm going to stick with the defensive line and go with another potential first-round pick in Malcolm Brown from Texas, uh, another good, productive player. You know, three-four, he would be looked at more as a nose tackle, uh, but mature, has a family you know, is married, you know, when you sort of factor those things in, a good head on his shoulders, he's someone who I think will come in, do the right things, and do what he can to become the best NFL prospect possible. Yeah, okay. and Mal- Malcolm Brown's an interesting guy. I don't know. I, I think as a three technique, he'll be a great fit next level. Uh, I'm going to now oh, – one more defensive player, uh, projected to be the top cornerback in this year's draft class, Trey Waynes of Michigan State. 
you know, has a size, a length, played with good technique, great coaching at Michigan State, some questions about deep speed, and he had the second fastest combine, 40-yard uh, dash at the combine this year. So he answered questions about that with that workout. Uh, great physique, seems to be a good kid. Uh, to me, seems like that he has the highest floor of all the defensive backs this I, year's draft class. I like Trey Waynes a lot. I think he's the best cornerback prospect in this draft. I w the, the reason that I wouldn't include him here is if he goes you know, seventh overall and he's not a shutdown corner at the next level, is that worth it? Was that, was that safe? Right. I don't you know, that's, you know, we're talking semantics here, but that's, that's why he wouldn't have been on my list. Did you see Mark Dominic uh, on Twitter? Yeah. Saying he'll be a night. top 10 pick. Yeah. So yeah. after watching tape, he's going to the top 10. So uh, I'm going to go to offense for my last two. I'm going to go with Kevin White, wide receiver from West Virginia, had over hundred receptions. Uh, so has been productive at a big time school, big time conference against good competition, has the size, has the athleticism. Uh, is projected to be one of the best players overall, not just among the receivers in this year's draft class. So to me, it seems like he's a player who I think will perform well at the next level. And it's a position that is becoming safer. In fact, I think it's That's the exactly deepest right. position. And it's a position where in years past you would say a rookie wide receiver could make an impact. Now you're seeing rookie wide receivers make a more seamless transition to the program. Yeah, you, I mean, you used to see a lot of first-round receiver busts, and, and that is – increasingly not the case and uh you know i think i think kevin white will will be a starting caliber receiver he's a little older but a little uh bit. he's no gene sifrin he's no gene sifrin he's also no amari cooper no that is true that's a good point my last one going offensive line cam irving from florida state uh you know i think he's gonna follow in the mold of travis frederick weston richburg the guys the last couple of years who drafted in the first round you know you could say zach martin as well from last year Draft in the first round, you plug him into the interior of the offensive line, he can be a day one starter for you. I think Irving is getting a lot more buzz too going into the uh going into the draft as opposed to where he was. Even uh around the senior bowl time there were a lot of talk about, you know, potential injuries and a lot of different concerns there. Obviously making the position switch from from tackle to center. Um, but Irving's an interesting guy. So those are my yeah, I, think, I think that's a good one. All right, so I'll just go through my six real quickly. Um the my first one was Amari Cooper out of Alabama. Uh, just a guy that is a smooth athlete. One of the things that's most impressive is that all the subtleties of route running that most of these college receivers don't have down. I mean, that's the thing is that all these guys pretty much are raw route runners that are going to need to work on things. He's so much further along than a lot of these guys. And you see him do little things even down the field where, uh, you know, he's stride for stride with the guy and he kind of leans into the defender just to create a little bit of space and push off the last minute. Uh, just little things that are veteran moves that you see with, with Cooper that it's impressive to see. I think he does a lot of little things well. I think he's a, a safer bet than than Kevin White is. But, you know, Kevin White, I think, has a little bit more upside. Uh, my second and Cooper is younger. And Cooper's younger, which I know you like. Um, Second guy, Byron Jones, we've talked about, you know, in the podcast. So this already. is an interesting one. Yeah, Byron, the way that I, when I watch Byron Jones, I, I see a guy who's safe because like a, a lot of the things we talked about with Kevin Johnson, uh, from a technique standpoint, he's so good at the line of scrimmage. Uh, he's so good with his hands. He knows how to use his length. He plays well in phase with his back to the ball. Um, you know, he's just a very impressive kid. And then obviously he compounded all that with his workout and what he's done in the post, uh, in the pre-draft process. Um, I, I think Byron Jones is going to come in, and I think he's going to be a starter early. I agree with you, uh, but I think it's interesting for people to hear Byron Jones. We talked about as such a safe prospect because the the conventional wisdom on him right now is just that he was a, a workout a wonder from from the combine. So it's it's good for I think you to you, you to bring that out. Yeah, and you know it's interesting. There was a uh, there was a quote yesterday. I think it was Lewis Riddick on Twitter uh, put out that 
then this year's draft, there's big corners that can play. There's big corners that can run and that can play, whereas last year there were big corners that can run, but you weren't sure if they could play or not. Stanley Jean-Baptiste right. and so Keith it, McGill. You know, and this year there's multiple guys that can do that. And I think – you know, he didn't say, but I think he was talking about guys like Kevin Johnson, like Byron Jones. Where give us your give us your Byron Jones stat. I know you want to. Uh, and this was just off the ones that they, the games that I looked looked through. The longest catch he gave up was 13 yards. So very impressive. 13 I, yards. Yeah, I mean, you know, so he's I, look very very impressive guy. Um, my third guy, Brandon Scherf, a guy that you guys know I really really like. Six five, three hundred nineteen nineteen pounds, big, tough, athletic, great hand placement. He plays with good technique. You know, whether he's a tackle, whether he's a guard, you know, however you see him, I think he's a plug-and-play guy that I think will be a, a starter for a long, long time. Um, whether he's Zach Martin and comes in you know, as a pro bowler right away, I don't know. But, you know, I think he can plug in and start immediately. I like him too, but for me it would be similar to, to with Trey Waynes. If Brandon Scherf goes top five overall, is he, is he going to give you that value? I don't know. Yeah, and, and I guess that's the, the question is how, how do you see and how the do you, safe right. and, and things like that. So, um Next guy I'm going to go with is Jake Fisher. Uh, you know, and again, uh, a guy who blew up the combine from you know, much like Byron Jones did. But uh, when you watch him on tape, he's so much cleaner than a lot of these other prospects at the position in terms of technique. Uh, his feet are great. His hand placement's good. He plays with good pad level, so uh, he does a lot of things. He's positionally versatile. So you know, if at the very least, if you know, if you, he doesn't play tackle, he can play guard. If he can, you know, if you're full at tackle like the Eagles are, uh, he's going to come in, and I think he could, he could play guard here. So. Um, you know, I, I think Fisher is a guy who's going to come in and he'll start right away. Okay. Uh, my fifth guy, Stefan Anthony, the linebacker from Clemson, 6'3", 243 pounds, very instinctive guy, high character. I think, you know, in the pre-draft process, you can check off all the boxes in, the, in terms of the senior bowl, uh, the combine. He's aced all of those. So uh, very good tackler, athletic kid, you know, very impressive. I think he's a guy who can step in and he's, he's going to be a starter, I think, no question in the NFL. And I think he he fits that. He's probably going to be a second, third round pick, and 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 will be able to fulfill that uh, draft slot. I, and I, I for my sixth guy, I kind of went off the went off the reservation a little bit in terms of you know a lot of these guys that I've talked about have been uh, you know high first rounders or you know maybe you know early second round picks. Uh, I went with Nick Boyle, the tight end out of Delaware. Uh, I think he'll be a day three pick, six four, two hundred seventy pounds. We saw him down at the Senior Bowl, and you kind of wondered, okay. Uh, you know, how athletic is he? You know, did he dominate the level of competition at the FCS level? But, you know, another guy, he does the little things well at the tight end position in terms of route running, in terms of his blocking. Uh, very refined. It, you know, at the tight end position now, you're looking for guys that are willing to block. He's willing to block, and he does it with good technique. There's very little that he's going to have to improve on. Obviously, you know, he's going to have to get stronger and things like that. But, uh, you know, from a technique standpoint, he's so much cleaner than some of the other guys at his position. Uh, he showed the ability to run routes at the senior bowl. Uh, and he had the best short shuttle. And this was the question with him was, uh, you know, how athletic is he? And he ended up running the best short shuttle of any tight end. Uh, he ran a 4-2-3, which was better than Chris Conley. It was better than G DGB. It was better than Stephon Diggs. Uh, you know, so it was a really impressive time for me, and it kind of showed that short area quickness. So, uh, Nick Boyle, I went with as my The key guy. to Nick Boyle being so safe is that if he doesn't make it as a tight end, he can long snap. That's true. That's a good point, too. Right? He's not quite as good as Joe Cardona. But no, but he could do it. <laughs> that's right. And I know C-Mac doesn't like him. Of course not, but... Yeah. C-Mac hates Delaware. Drexel Delaware, right there. Go so. Blue Hens. <laughs> I just threw him off. At, at this point, I only what want about to the, uh, What about the Drexel uh, leading scorer transferring, by the way? I mean... What are you going to do? What are you going to do? That's Bruiser can't keep him. How did Wake do this year? Oh, Pretty well. Pretty well. Shots fired. Pretty well. 
Shot across the bar. Both, both Danny, Danny Manning is co-hosting uh, Mike and Mike <laughs> on Friday, so we're doing pretty well. <laughs> there we go. The only time Drexel basketball comes off is as the uh, biggest snubs in NCAA history. So sorry to hear a that. A couple years ago. Sorry about Temple Owls. Yeah, it's all right. Rough loss. But you know what's ironic? So they lost in the the NIT to Miami. And next up in the show, we're going to hear from Miami linebacker Denzel Perryman. Oh. I don't know if that's ironic, but yeah. let's listen to it anyway. It's a good segue. We'll go with it. The unofficial visit. Here now with Miami linebacker Denzel Perryman. And Denzel, for fans that have yet to see you play, give a quick scouting report on what you bring to the table. Uh, pretty much, man, they don't get a hard-hitting linebacker, man. Uh, a little short guy, man, undersized. I've been getting that since high school, so it doesn't bother me. Um, you know, you see a guy who's going uh, to go down here. Um, I mean, when I make contact, you know, you're going to hear it through the TV. You're going to see it. Uh, the other player's going to feel me. And uh, as far as pass coverage, man, you know, you're going to see me, you know, look back there lurking. I feel like every year there are the, the undersized linebackers that are instinctive and good tacklers like yourself, and they get compared to London Fletcher. You're in, you're out. Is that a guy that you feel like you looked at and say like, yeah, I, I kind of patterned my game after him? Yeah, I mean, I looked at him. I seen, you know, how hard he played, man. And uh, like I said, man, I get undersized all my life. So, you know, it's pretty much, you know, like I, I go out there and play a chip on my shoulder. And uh, recently, you know, I just got um, compared to Chris Boylan and, okay. and DeQuell Jackson. Right. So, I mean, I looked at those guys play too, man, and they're animals. Two former second-round picks, the DeQuell Jackson out of Maryland, uh, Chris Boylan out of Wisconsin last year. Mm-hmm. Playing for uh, for Coach Golden, playing for Coach D'Onofrio down in Miami, two, uh, two guys obviously are very invested in the linebacker position. Yeah. Talk about some of the things that they helped you improve on uh, during your college career. Um, they helped me improve on a lot, you know, uh, just, you know, kind of getting ready, you know, for the next level. And, um, you know, the type of defense we ran, you know, it's pretty much like NFL-based, like defensive style. And, um, you know, as far as, you know, getting me prepared, man, you know, a lot of stuff that you know, we did down there, uh, you know, I kind of heard it, you know, in the meeting rooms, the team meeting rooms, especially in the defensive meeting room, you know, the same terminology, you know, that those guys use, you know, we use the same thing. And um, as far as, like, plays that we ran, you know, it's the same thing, you know, just, you know, different terminology. Who was a favorite player from the U from the years past that you kind of look up and say, like, you know, I've, I kind of have an idea of who you're going to say looking at your number, but take a guess anyway. Yeah, man, Ray Lewis is one <laughs> of them. John DeVille was another. DJ Williams another. Sean Spence. Man, this just goes on and on, man. Is there a trait that you feel like you have that uh, kind of puts you, you know, in that category as one of the next great uh, University of Miami players? Well, yeah, man, I got the dog in me, man. You know, all of them had that dog in them. All of them, you know, headhunters. Coming down here to the Senior Bowl, is there a guy on the offensive side that you look at and say, "Yeah, I think he's the best player on that side of the ball"? Uh, from South Team or the North? From the, from uh, from your squad, from the South. Uh, from the South, man, you know, you got Clyde Walford, you know, Dorsett. I mean, I'm not no, just easy. saying, yeah, you know, right. those. They've you know, had I'm good not, weeks, that's true. I'm just not saying no, they're from you, <laughs> but, you know, they, they pretty much, you know, had good weeks in their game here. Uh, Sammy Coates, another one, uh, you know, Blake Sims, uh, Grayson from uh, Colorado State. Um, you know, Bennett, when he came in, he had a, a, a nice little debut. Uh, you know, offensive line, I give credit to all those guys, man. They, uh, they're doing a good job of giving us a look. Um, you know, uh, Artis Payne, the running back from Auburn, the one from Manola now. I mean, pretty much, man, everybody on offense, you know, uh, pretty much, you know, shining right now. Is there a linebacker that you came down and you see, you kind of see eye to eye and say, like, all right, this guy's got game. Like, I, I, I like the yeah, way he plays. Uh, Stephon Anthony, you know, okay. he's, uh, we, you know, we started off uh, on the first day uh, pretty much, you know, talking amongst each other. And I told him, you know, we got to be out there communicating. I said that amongst all the other linebackers. Um, Amarlo Herrera, 
uh, Spate, you know, from Michigan State. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that's just pretty much all I got. Linden Trail, you know, Malden from Louisville. I mean, you know, we all, you know, all no, everybody can play, man. Everybody can play. So the last question I'll ask you, uh, this past season, your senior year, who was the best player you feel like you went up against? Amir Abdullah. Amir Abdullah. And I would say okay. that. I take that to the grave, man. What was it that, about him that made him so uh, tough? I mean, he's just—he's a—he's a complete guy overall, man. Uh, he can run. He's very elusive. You know, he's very powerful. But at the same time, you make him miss. Like I said, uh, I mean, he's just a complete overall. All right, Denzel. Appreciate the time. Hopefully, we'll see you in Philadelphia. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. On the clock. All right, fellas. Time for on the clock. As I uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're getting back to our roots. We're doing a little "Would You Rather" today. Would you rather? Uh, and we're going to focus on on trade up, trade down possibilities for the Eagles. Okay. Would you rather the Eagles trade up to fifteen, sixteen for Trey Waynes? So you're thinking probably maybe giving up, maybe giving up a second round pick, maybe a third round pick, yeah, something like that, or uh, take Kevin Johnson at twenty. Oh. I think I'm going the latter. I'm going to stick at 20. Especially if the, the price is a second-round pick. I think you take the to quote Chip, two players is better than one. Okay. All right. Uh, I would agree. I, I, I well, think, of course you agree. Of course I would say you're but hesitant. I, actually, I, I, uh, I like Trey Wayne's a lot. I, I like Trey yeah. Wayne's a lot, too. But, but I think I would. I think I would, I would stay. All right. Let's do the one that everybody wants to know. Would you rather move up to two for Marcus Mariota, <laughs> which means, I don't know, to a future first, a second this year, maybe a couple players, lots of lots of yeah. stuff. King's ransom. I mean, with the, for the quarterback, I would trade up for Mariota. I mean, for our in that jobs, scenario, for our jobs it was it would be a lot more fun for the the trade up to Mariota. I think so. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the first option. Yeah, I'm. A, I think I would do it too. I'm upset that he's not gonna be in Chicago. Yes, which I'll be for uh, the first day of Eagles draft central. It's too bad. Would you rather move up to 17 for Jake Fisher, say you're giving up a third-round pick to move up, okay, or stay at 20 and take TJ Clemmings? Would I would have go Clemmings with in a third or, or Fisher. Fisher. I, would, I think I'd go Fisher. I would rather have Clemmings. You you like Clemmings a lot. I, I like Clemmings. And Clemming, I think Clemmings is a good player, but I I think I would go. I'd also Fisher rather have a third-round pick. Sure, but I like Clemmings. Yeah. yeah, he's he's nasty. He is. All right, uh, pass rushers. All right. Would like you rather it. move up to 15 for Bud Dupree? Okay. Or take Owa Digizua at 20? Oh, that's my guy. So if you're moving to 15, you're probably going to give up. You're not. I don't know if you're getting up there with a third. No, maybe it's something like a third and a fourth. Uh, maybe a maybe a second and getting a third back. Or the Eagles have done third, this deal in the back. past. Similar deal. So I, I it's not. A second is too much, but it's but a third is not enough. It's exactly. somewhere in between there. Regardless, I'm going my guy. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Take him at twenty. Yeah. Uh, one of the interesting things I'll be I'll be interested to see is how the the edge rushers kind of pan out because there's so many guys, and I don't know that all of those teams have necessarily you know have those top needs. So you know you've got Fowler, you've got Beasley, you've got Gregory. You've got Dupree. There's Odigizua. There's you know Shane Ray. There's a lot of guys up there. We were talking we, we, as we were sort of you know exercising going through the mock draft. It's interesting because where the Eagles are at twenty, there there are three positions where there are these clusters: the offensive line, wide receiver, and the pass rushers. I think, and even corners to an extent. Yep. 
there's going to be a run on one or two of those positions in the first 18 picks or so. So there's going to be, I think, some really good value for the Eagles if they just sit, sit at 20. Uh, whether that means, um, you know, the third best offensive lineman falling, whether it means the fourth best receiver falling, maybe it could be the fourth best pass rusher falling. There's going to be something like that, I think. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't say it's out of the question that Dupree would fall to 20. No, just you know, because it's like you said. I mean, one of those there's going to be a run somewhere. I mean, it could be that Devontae Parker and Brashad Perryman both go in the top 15. It could be. Uh, you know that the corners all go start going off the board. I mean, one of those positions are going to there's going to be a run. Do you think? Do do you prefer Dupree to Ola? Uh, I do think that they're different players in terms of the way to to quote Josh Norris actually in the Where way they, that win. they win. You know, I I think uh, Dupree is more of the, the he's get after the quarterback. He gets and well, look and Dupree and we've talked about this before on the podcast. I think uh, similar to Deion Jordan a couple of years ago. They didn't ask Dupree just to you know pin his ears back and go after the passer. I mean, he played in coverage a lot, so I, I think that kind of takes away from you know the the production numbers. And I think he did that pretty well too. I you know I think that he can play in space, um, and that's why they asked him to do it. Is he at his best moving to the quarterback? I would say so, but um, you know he definitely is one of those guys that wins with speed. He's going to turn the corner, and whereas a Diggy Zua, I think while his athleticism gets undersold sometimes, uh, I think he's more of a power leverage guy. I think he's something like a a. a Brian Arakpo, a Chandler Jones. I think he's a little bit shorter than Chandler Jones was coming out, but you know, similar to that kind of a player. Um, I, I I like Odigizu a lot, though. I, I think he's more well-rounded to me. Okay, I would go Dupree in your scenario. Okay, I feel like if you have, you know, this is again depends on what you like. You know, Fran's a big Odigizu guy. If there's a guy that you like, I don't like the notion, the thought of like, well, they could just take the next pass rusher there. Right. Right. You know, oh, it's a, it's a deep draft class of wide receiver. Well, they can just get any wide receiver. Right. No, there's going to be a guy that's going to fit your team better. There's going to be a guy that you like better. So I think if they like Dupree, I'm going to move up. I him. think that's one thing that we can say about Chip Kelly as as the football decision maker is that he's going to find a way, I think, to get his guys. Sure. Uh, whether that means trading up a little bit to get him or whether it means taking a guy earlier than most people would expect, I think he's going to he's going to focus on getting the guys that yeah. he actually wants which i think is the way to go you look at some of the way look some of the teams that the two teams that played in the super bowl this year that's the way that they operate is they're you know they're going away from what the conventional wisdom and the group think may be to get their guys that they want that they target as you know potential fits for their team uh, and getting them in the building whatever way necessary all right last one safety would you rather move up to 13 14 for landon collins or take eric rowe at 20 Eric Rowe, twenty. I, would I, say, I, I yeah. don't want to move up for Collins, to be honest. No, and I don't. And I, as we talked about before, Collins is maybe not a, a perfect fit for this defense. And Rowe, I think, uh, I think he plays corner regardless. Yeah. But yeah, that's I would. There's say no other safety line. Yeah. You know, right. could throw. Sure. Demarius Randall at twenty, but yeah, and I would go with Rowe for sure. Yeah. All right. Like well, it was a good that's game. what I got. I like it. Well, All right. Well, let's go back to uh, our uh, prospect interviews. Stay golden, Pony Boy. Marcus Golden from Missouri. The unofficial visit. Well, we're here with Marcus Golden, Missouri pass rusher. Marcus, for uh, for fans who may not know, tell us what the, the scouting report is on you. What do you do well and, and what do you need to work on? Well, really, I just I play hard. I'm a guy that play hard, high-motor guy. I'm always trying to get out to the quarterback. I'm always trying to get the ball off from the other team and give it back to my team. And uh, that's what it is about me. And I, 
what I need to work on. I need to work on everything. I need to work on whatever. I, every day I work on everything. So I'm not a guy to just pick out one particular thing I need to work on. And I learn. I get questions back from these uh, scouts, feedback from the scouts, and they tell me what I need to work on, and I listen to them. Uh, in terms of uh, versatility, playing the run, playing the playing the pass, you feel like you can do it all really well? Yes, I can. I can do it all. I can get out the quarterback. I can stop the run. Uh, I played in Missouri, so Coach Cool, he, he teaches that a lot. That's what Coach Cool teaches is getting after the quarterback and also stopping the run, too. So I'm lucky to have him as a coach, and uh, I'm actually just doing what, I, doing what the coaches want me to do, and I'm just going to be able to make plays whenever it's time to make plays. So what was in the water in Missouri and for pass rushers? You, Coney Ely, Michael Sam, Shane Ray, what's the, what's the deal? Coach Cool, you gotta, like I said, you got to get the credit to Coach Cool. He's a great coach. He's always coaching us up about pass rushing and also coaching us up about stopping the run. So when you got a coach like Coach Cool, a guy that's going to stay on you and push you to learn and push you to be great, you're going to end up being a good player. So I'm just blessed to have him as a coach. Is there a, an NFL guy who you think you have a, a similar game to? Yeah, I try, I, I try to look at a, di a bunch of different players. I, I even look at guys who used to go to Missouri, like uh, Sheldon Richardson, of course. I like sure. his game. I grew up with Sheldon. So he, he, he got high motor guy run all over the field, and I watched him do that at Mizzou, and I was able to mix him with a little bit of my game at Mizzou. And also I like I feel like I'm a lot like James Harrison. Man, He's a physical player, always trying to be around the ball, always trying to make plays. So I got to say Sheldon Richardson and James Harrison. So as a you know as a pass rusher in today's NFL, you've got three, four teams, four, three teams. For three, four teams, you feel like you could stand up and, and play in space there? Yes, of course I feel like I can. I played linebacker my whole life. I played it in high school. I played it at uh, junior college, and I played it in my first year at Mizzou. So I feel like I can stand up and play linebacker, and I feel like I can, really I can do whatever the coaches ask me to do. I'll be ready to do it. Were you always a, a defensive guy growing up, or, or did you play on offense too? I actually played running back. I always I played running back. I was a 2,000-yard back, 30 touchdowns in my high school. All so. right. So, yeah, I always wanted to play running back, but then I got too big. I didn't want nobody to be able to take out my knees. Were you always were you always the biggest guy of, of your friends or anything? Uh, yeah, most of the time, yep, I was probably the biggest guy of my friends. Besides my brother hanging out with my brother, his, he was always taller than me. So, okay. yeah, but other than that, yeah, I was pretty much always the biggest guy. So when you, you, know, when you were forced to make the transition from running back to, to defense because you were so big, uh, mentality-wise, you, you felt good about uh, being on defense, the difference uh, menta mentality-wise? No, really, I played defense my whole life, too, growing okay. up. I played linebacker my whole life growing up. So you like up. hitting people? Yeah, I just like hitting people. I like being physical. I just love playing a game of football. Whether it was going to be on offense or defense, I was going to be playing it anyway. What is, your, what is your favorite thing to do on the football field? Favorite thing to do on the football field is get the ball back from the other team and give it to my team, so forcing turnovers. All right, last question we'd like to ask everybody. Who's the best player you played against this season? Uh, probably have to say... Uh, Cedric. Cedric, he played for uh, Texas A&M, sure, yeah. offensive tackle, really good player. Me and him competed that game, and he's a good player. All right. Well, uh, you know, it's fun when you when you compete against a guy who you have a lot of respect for, right? And you're going mano a mano and stuff like that? Yes, yes. He actually told me he had a lot of respect for me, too. It's, it's fun to compete against a great player and be able to prove prove that you're a great player. I, like I said, I went at it with, with him that game. It was a good game, and uh, I was glad to, to be able to get out there and compete against him. Well, you'll have uh, every opportunity in the NFL to do that, Marcus Golden. Best of luck throughout the draft process. Thanks a lot. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. All right, great stuff there from Marcus Gold. Now we're going to delve into the draft mailbag to wrap up this edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. And we went on Twitter to solicit your questions for us. And uh, we'll start with popular question throughout the Eagles draft process coming from at Foco underscore Gorilla. Wants to Moses know. Moses Foku? No, not Moses Foku. Sorry. I know you got excited. I know. <laughs> That's my boy. I mean, wouldn't he be able just to 
text yeah, you directly. Just, you're right. You're right. He would just text me. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, wants to know if the Eagles are still looking at a quarterback in the upcoming draft. So I guess he doesn't buy the fact that the Eagles are sold on Sam Bradford. Uh, I think that the Eagles will always keep their eye on the quarterback position. They know it's the most important position in sports, and and if uh, value presents itself, they'll take advantage. But I would be surprised if they take one in the first round. I would agree. And every year, every team's going to look at every quarterback. Yeah. So I yeah. think they will continue to look at the quarterback. And a similar cl- question comes from at random Frank P. wants to know if Mariota were to fall the top ten, then would the Eagles make a move? And I'm sure depends on the price. Is, it depends on the price, and I'm sure there's a point where Chip Kelly would say, you know what, the price is right. We'll make the move. I think that Marcus Mariota is going first overall. Really? Yes. I don't believe I don't believe that Jameis Winston is already penned in as a number one pick. I don't so you're think right, you're writing that in pencil, huh? I, I don't think that the Bucks are going to uh, take a player as the face of the franchise with his question marks. Uh, we've talked in the past about uh, and Fran and I have talked about this the the connection between Dirk Cutter and Mark Helfrich. They worked yep. together for nine years. Uh, he's going to know everything there is to know about Marcus Mariota. Uh, their running game was terrible last year. Mariota would help that. I don't know. I think I think Mariota's going one. Fascinating, very fascinating. And also having a guy like Mariota could mask some of the issues they have up front, and they have a, yes. a lot of issues on the offensive line. So it's a valid point. Uh, along those same lines, we go to this question from at Andre ZXY. Would the Eagles consider some of these guys with the off the field issues, guys like Marcus Peters or Doral Green Beckham? Uh, I think they will do their homework. It's a case by case basis. It's a case by case basis, and there's you know, there's a difference between those two players. Doyle Green Beckham yes. did some no, really bad. Want, I want no part. He is not going to be here. Yeah, no part. Marcus whatsoever. Peters, the what you hear, what we know at least, is that he really just didn't get along with the coaching staff. Uh, he you know he was a bad apple in the locker room because he didn't get along with the coaching staff and and. He says it's because he was loyal to the old staff. Yeah, it was Chris uh, Pearson, came in from Boise State right. to Washington. That's, that was so the, that's something the, where you do your homework on uh, and you figure out if he could come in and, and be a good soldier here. I would be surprised if he landed on the Eagles. I don't think it's going to happen. But I think there's a better chance that he comes here than Doyle Green Beckham. I think that people would be surprised at how different sometimes the narrative is when you're talking about off-field issues with players, uh, how different the narrative is. Uh, from what's released and what actually happened and some of the things that go on behind the scenes that maybe led to this. So, you know, if there's the, every NFL team is going to do their homework. If all the reports that have come out in the last couple of weeks have improved that about, you know, secret spies following Jameis Winston on flights from the combine and things like that. Every, every team's going to do their homework and do their du- due diligence. Uh, you know, if they trust it, then they'll, they'll make the pick. All right. Next question comes from at Sean Eham 73 wants to know about late round receivers who could potentially fit this offense. So I know we talked about a lot of the top guys, Jalen Strong at the mock drafts, this and that. Uh, but what about some of the later round guys? And these are some guys we've discussed on the yeah, podcast. Yeah. But You know, I've talked about Kenny Bell in the past from Nebraska. I think he sort of fits that mold. Um, I think I any know, receiver like, fits yeah, this offense, yeah. though, because it really comes down to what – I mean, look, if you look at – Riley Cooper to Josh Huff to Jordan yeah. Matt, like they're they're different skill sets. So really, I think any player could potentially fit. It's, it comes down to what they want right now for that fourth receiver or for the potential second receiver. It depends on what they're looking for at, th- at that particular draft slot. But you know, you talk about a guy like one guy I like Titus Davis from Central Michigan, and yeah. you talk about uh, you know a guy who who knows the subtleties of route running. Davis is one of the best route runners in the draft, and consistently was able to get open at the top of his stem. Uh, you know, show the ability to shake defensive backs out of the out of their shoes, even against the 
the the bigger competition at Central Michigan, you know, when they would go up against Michigan State or, or Purdue, uh, he was able to have a lot of success. So I, I like Titus Davis a lot. All right. Next question comes from at South Jersey Mick on Twitter. Wants to know about Brashad Perriman. What about him? As a potential I th- target I'm for the Eagles at number I'm, one. I'm surprised that that hasn't been talked about more because, you yeah. know, I, you know, I think he's a first-round pick. His talent uh, and what he showed on film was very, very good. I didn't think he was going to run four-two-five. I thought maybe, you know, low four-fours, you know, maybe do what Kevin White did and go, you know, in the four-threes. But four-two-five, and obviously you're going to weigh that for the pro day. Yeah, I don't really believe that he actually ran a four-two-five. But, but regardless, yes. he, a guy ran a time four-two-five by multiple people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the I combine mean, record is four-two-four, four, just right, for the record, right. by Chris Johnson. Look, he's a very big, explosive guy. Uh, you know, can go downfield and win in those contested situations. I think he averaged 22 yards a catch or something like that this past season. So, uh, you know, and at that size, he's very impressive. He tracks the ball so well in the air because that quarterback this year, uh, looking to replace Blake Borders, was just awful. So, uh, showed the ability to adjust to, to poorly bo- uh, thrown balls downfield, and he can reel in those catches. So, very impressive guy. I think if he's there at 20, there's, you know, the Eagles would definitely think about it. I think he he would be worth that spot. I I would. You know, currently, I would guess that he will not be there at 20. In my opinion, he's the third receiver off the board, in my opinion. But, so but not, you don't like Devontae Parker. That's exactly what I was going to li- say. I like, yes. I like Perryman more than Parker. Yes. yes. All right, our last one here comes from at the Zomster. Wants to know, what would the addition of Landon Collins mean for Malcolm Jenkins? It would mean that Malcolm Jenkins is still starting. You know what? I think he, I think he I meant think that more in terms of his role. Yes. Yeah. But here, here's my thing is that, uh, you know, obviously Landon Collins doesn't fit in terms of play every single role across the defense, be able to play single high and over the slot and in the box. And, you know, he's at his best, you know, playing near the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, and obviously he can do all those roles, but it's, it goes down a little bit as, as opposed to when he's near the line of scrimmage. The Eagles played a lot of dime last year. So, you know, could they decide, okay, we're going to draft J- uh, Landon Collins and we're going to play more dime. But with the, the additions they made at inside linebacker, obviously bringing back to Miko Ryans, you're not going to take all those linebackers off the field and play dime. So, you know, I think it's a, it's worth a discussion, but I'm surprised it hasn't come up a little bit more often because Dion Buchanan, you know, two years ago the Arizona was a nickel team. They played a lot of nickel. They draft Dion Buchanan. Now they're all dimes. So you know, things can change. It's not just off of what they did a year ago. I believe it was a great Cosell who's going to be the guest on uh, next week's Journey to Draft podcast presented by AAA. Thinks that Landon Collins should transition to linebacker. And maybe it's a similar role to Dion Buchanan. Maybe it's that's how he's viewing him. It's like the Shaq Thompson conversation. It's, right. a, it's all you know comes down to the role. Okay. Well, there you go. Well, gentlemen, phenomenal job. And again, uh, Greg Cosell will be our special guest next week. But uh, we want to thank Josh Norris from Royal World for joining us this week here on the Journey to Drive podcast presented by AAA. I'm Chris McPherson. We've been listening to Bo Wolf and Fran Duffy. Thanks for joining us. And have a great week, everyone.